0: Hello and welcome. We're back. My name's Julie Brown and I'm here with my friends and colleagues.
1: David Kennedy and Red Keating.
0: And uh, we're returning uh, to our podcast here in partnership with Hospice Peterborough. You may or may not have noticed that we've been absent for a while. Uh, But in that absence, we've been working hard at... um, Really reflecting on this podcast, uh, the direction we want to see it move in, how we kind of want to brand it out to the world, and so we've made some changes. Thanks to Hospice Peterborough, uh, we've invested in some really great sound equipment, so hopefully you can hear us a little better and the quality's better. And we were just saying, hopefully it doesn't sound like we're in a echoey room anymore. Um, and one of the things we did is we really took some time to think about our title to make sure our title our, our the name of the podcast is really encapsulating what we want this podcast to be about so red can you share a little bit about that
2: oh, sure we, we bantered a- around quite a bit of we sure did. Uh, names and, and sometimes it's even hard to remember what we've <laughs> what we've called it um, but we, we're now uh, set on, on on what now um, as a question uh, when someone is presented with a life-altering event a life-threatening illness, um, and that process, and and maybe dying is in front of them. They they may ask the question, "What now?" And I think it was David you came up with the concept of a threshold, um, which I was really struck with. And so uh, the subtitle or the, the the small bit of the of the of the title is "On the Threshold of Life, Death, and Grief." And we kind of thought that captured maybe what we're going to be talking about over this uh, next little series of of, of talks. Yeah,
1: I re- I really like the idea of threshold because it. It, 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 it allows for both to be present. The, the, the threshold is, is, is somewhere where we've come to. So all of what has happened to us is part of our experience in that moment. But a threshold is also that, that point at which something new is going to happen. It's where we're going. Mm-hmm. So it's that moment of, <clears throat> of real reflection of what what's happened to me what and then the what now and, the, and allows us to find our way mm-hmm. right
2: and and you kind of have to step through and you have to step and, through. and
0: you don't really get a choice no, no no right no. and
2: it's going to be different on the other side yes you're yeah. leaving where you were yep. and you're entering a new place that might be strange or different right
0: so in summary our new title of our podcast is what now on the threshold of life death and grief so thanks for joining us in this new season of our podcast. And so to get us started, we thought um, kind of the obvious place to start with um, this new season of podcasts would be just to speak in general terms about grief. Um, grief and loss, it's part of all of our lives. It will continue to be part of all of our lives. And... Um, so we're gonna start there today.
1: I think too, Julie, that, that what struck me these last two and a half years since, since COVID and pandemic is that <clears throat> in a strange way, so many things of our life were put on hold. So many activities of life were canceled, but death didn't stop. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it, it increased, but, but the reality of death as a cycle of life kept going. But we were not able to deal with death um the way we normally and so I think it's accentuated this whole piece of grief. Mm-hmm. And 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 I think it's a real good place for us to, to talk today because uh it, it and again it just struck me how you know everything can be put on hold except death and it happens mm-hmm. and we face that in our life no matter what happens.
0: And such a great point, David, because I I believe that we are going to feel the reverberations of that for months and years and years to come because of the some of the experiences that people had of death, of grief through this pandemic. And I know I'm certainly hearing about that from my clients and my friends and family.
1: Which which also which all leads me to that to our first sense of grief, which is it's normal. It's not a pathological piece of life. it's what we are all going to experience
2: mm-hmm. and it's It's funny because oh, you guys were talking to, but and our culture really does not want to address death and grief all that much, and the pandemic has really sort of helped <laughs> sort of support that because so many people have put off. I'm thinking about our our podcast on rituals. Put off the rituals of funeral. Put off the the rituals, and we have mem- you know our memorials of, of of life and celebrations of life, and and they've been sort of delayed, mm-hmm. and everything has sort of been pushed to the side. And like like you said, but death keeps happening, and and it's the one guarantee that we have in life, and it's the one experience that we're all going to share. We'll all have a different death, but we're all going to find our way to the threshold, um, and so why we don't talk about it as a culture is is, is very interesting because of that fear that, that it creates in all of us, that, that anxiety of the unknown, um, and that that life is going to be different. It, it will not be the same after the death of someone you love, right? Um, it will not be the same after your death for those who are who, who love you and are left behind. And so that fear of the unknown, that crossing the threshold, um, really does, it does a disservice that we don't talk about it more because because we're all going to be there.
1: And, and I think that fear of death itself is what keeps us from understanding grief. Mm. Right. So <clears throat> if we're n- we're for afraid to talk about death, then, then nobody's going to talk about the grief piece. And then we, when we're faced with grief, it's this sudden shock. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh my gosh, we've never talked about this. And that just, that's part of this cycle of Uh, or the reason of when you're when you are pushing death away in a society and not wanting to talk about it or face it um, then the grief that follows doesn't get a chance to have that kind of acknowledgement
0: and so on that note you can then understand why people are often bewildered when they're trying to navigate their grief many weeks and many many months or years out from the death because it hasn't so often been normalized and one of the things i see is you know, we're often quite good at showing up with our casseroles and mm. with our, you know, expressions of care immediately. And of course, that's very, very important because that can often, you know, really buoy up a person in a family through those initial days and weeks. Um, but but grief is a very long...
1: Shelf life. <laughs> shelf life. There's, not,
0: there's no expiration date mm-hmm. on that, right? Yeah. And so... It often becomes very invisible to, to others around you, but it doesn't feel invisible, both, you know, in your body, in your mind, emotionally and spiritually.
2: Well, and it runs counter to our positive, happy culture as well. That that sense of we're all supposed to be happy and, and you're supposed to get over it. Okay. You've brought the casserole. You've had a couple of weeks. Stop being sad so that you don't make me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you're hard to be around because you're always crying. You're, you know, you're a real downer. Right. And then people get really upset by the fact that they haven't gotten over it the way everybody wants them to so that they're comfortable. Um, and how many times have we have you been with people saying, it's not something you get over. Mm-hmm. You know, It's something that you learn to live with. It's, a, it's right. transitioning into a new world and it, you as a new person without that loved one in it. Um, but it's all about getting over.
0: I just think of the number of times I've heard, I can remember a specific incident with, um, a coworker who had just lost their father and they had just returned to work. It had only been about a week and I checked in with the person and, um, he said, I'm okay. Getting better every day. Yeah. Every day is a little easier. And I looked at him and I said, really, is that true? And then, you know, we (laughs) went on and it's like, yeah, no, that's not true at all. (laughs) But that is the attempt to go okay I got to integrate back into society and what that means is you know it's our good vibes only culture Mm -hmm. right it's like oh I just need to be I hear a lot of I just need to be grateful I need to be grateful that we had them as long as we did or that we you know that people been so helpful and of course all that's important but that in no way you know changes our our grief or the the space that the grief needs to have
1: And I think that's why, you know, these these um, uh, theories around grief, the the one, of course, that, that people immediately trigger to is is the the five stages, which is a very linear. That's that every day I just get better and better. And then, you know, once I get that fifth stage out of the way, I'm fine. You know, but we know that grief is not linear. It's not like that. It's two steps forward, three steps back. It's up. It's down. It's all over the place for a long time. And that's, again, not something that, that's wrong with you. That's, And I think it's important to identify the difference between grief and mourning or how we find our way to express that. Because grief is what happens to us as a result of that loss. And we don't get to choose. We don't get to choose what that looks like or how it impacts us. The only choice we have is what do we do with that grief? How do we find a way to honor that outwardly and that can be that can be ritual can be simply you know you mentioned crying and tears that's mourning that's that's the way in which we find a way to express how we're feeling
2: that grief what grief has done to us but we don't like the mess we like the we five like steps. <laughs> right. we, well, we, we, and I just need to say,
0: poor Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who yes. who designed those five steps, never, never meant for never, it never to be meant, used never. the way it was. No way. But,
2: you know... Because we like the prescription. We like prescription. And, and if we do all the things, then it will be done. Because yeah. yeah. I think that's the other piece. People also go, will this ever end? Huh. And of course, the answer is no. Yeah. It won't ever end. It'll get Life will get easier. Every day will get a little bit lighter. But you will always miss and grieve for the person that's lost the person that has died is not coming back and that's like life will never be the same again but we don't have to be
1: afraid of that
2: no but we're always afraid i mean i hear it all the time I, will i always feel this way right well i always feel this way and i say it's kind of like water it's like a tide it'll roll in if you let it roll in and feel it guess what you'll learn that it goes back out again right? And if you let it in and you feel it, but we don't want to feel those things. So we distract ourselves, you know, maybe we throw ourselves back into work, like that guy you were talking Mm -hmm. about, Julie, or maybe, you know, we keep ourselves very busy doing things so that we don't feel. And I think that's part of the problem is it's such an uncomfortable feeling that we don't want to feel it. So we can sometimes busy ourselves with work, maybe substances, you know, just to numb that sense of, of sadness that we have. But if we let it roll in and feel it, we'll then learn that it goes back out again. And that over time, the water doesn't come in as regularly or as frequently. Or as intensely. It stays, and it's not as intense, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But you don't know that when you're in the middle of it, or, you know, you you have to live through that to understand that that will happen if you allow yourself to feel the grief, that it will not appear as often, and when it does appear, it won't be as intense.
0: So can we just take um, a few moments just to talk about how grief can show up for us? Um, Because... I think when we think of someone who's had a loss, we think of sadness. We think of the person crying. But actually grief manifests in us so in so many different ways. So can we just sure. take, take a
1: few moments? Well, let me, uh, let me focus on one, and then you, you can find some others. But the, the, the one that I think people miss, and it kind of picked up where, where you were going, Red, was uh, grief <clears throat> is very social. Grief impacts us socially. And that's the long-term piece of it. So, uh, if if your if your life partner dies, um, you suddenly are on the threshold of this new life journey without that person physically with you. I mean, they'll always be in your heart. But so, but socially, it changes us. <clears throat> I remember my mom when when after my dad died. Um, uh, he died in February. And mom and dad were very connected into a church group and seniors group and all that, and a very active seniors group. And they always had this huge Christmas dinner. And so dad died in February. So by the, you know, we're down the road 10 months, 11 months. And I said to mom, so mom, um, do you want me to get you a ticket for the the seniors banquet this year? And she said, oh, I don't think I'm going to go. And I said, okay, can you tell me why you might want to? You're not going to go. Well, I don't know who I'll sit with, <laughs> and that that just okay. you know that idea of socially connection. Who do I sit with? Where do I fit in now? When 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 the other person is present with us, we kind of find our way socially in the crowds. But now we have to find a new way of being present with people. So it really does change us socially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So true.
2: Uh, It's funny, you said that the first thing I thought was isolation, right? Some people cut themselves off from others, right? Because for whatever reasons, they don't want to feel the pressure of others to be happy. Um, They don't want to have questions asked of them because they're not ready to talk about it. Um, And sometimes when you're socially isolated, then you can feel frozen, socially frozen, right? And your house stays the same and nothing is moved. Nothing is touched. You know, you hear the story of, of a child that dies in their bedroom is the same five years later. It's just been untouched. It's almost like a museum. Um, I don't want to hog the mic here, but the other one is irritability. Just if you have that oh. sense of irritability and you don't know where it's coming from, think about <laughs> it could be grief. If you're just constantly kind of going through life a little irritated and and frustrated and, and, and just... but you can't figure out why, you know, you don't understand where that feeling is coming from.
0: I was thinking about, um, all of what I'm hearing that, you know, relates to the social part is the cognitive nature of grief that I often say there's a cognitive load to grieving that we often don't recognize. And so sometimes, um, socializing is it almost just feels like too much it's like our brain gets overloaded I can't stand the sound I can't stand that many conversations I can't track the conversation when there's music playing in the background and like that's something that we often don't take into account right so sometimes people don't want to be out because it feels like too much like it feels like their brain is full or on fire um and that's also where that irritability piece can come out red where um you know if i'm feeling like my brain is so full and i can't take any more and there's too much stimulation of course i'm going to be irritable of course my mood's going to fluctuate and i'm going to have maybe more moments where i'm grumpy let's talk about the physical components how does how does oh. grief show up
1: physically <laughs> physically yeah the somatic pieces around you know the first one i think for many many people is is in most cases they can't sleep or, uh, or or they sleep too much but most of it is i, I you know I, I don't get enough sleep and and uh, you know i say to them that well, you're not supposed to sleep. It's okay. Grief robs us of those pieces because mm-hmm. we're just shocked into this. Mm-hmm. And and if you don't, if you're not, if you if you wake up at two in the morning and you can't get back to sleep, that, that's okay. Take a nap the next day. Like find ways to deal with this rather than trying to fight that. Mm-hmm. Now sometimes people have to because they have to work. So I mean that's a challenge there. But the reality is, sleeping, eating, those are normal. Pieces that get thrown
2: upside down with grief yeah, yeah appetite's a big one appetite you know, just stop one. eating yeah. you just or, you, eat. or you or you, you overeat, overeat. Yeah. Or you overeat. <laughs> yeah
0: um I often notice like a weariness like a feeling I think of um someone who once told me they were downstairs in their office building and their office was on the next floor, and they paused walking up the stairs because and they sighed and just Everything is, feels, everything is a burden. Everything, everything is heavy. feels heavy. Everything yeah. feels hard. My body feels like it weighs, you know, 600 pounds. Yeah. Like it just, things feel hard. Sometimes I use the phrase like, do you feel like you're walking through water? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. do you feel like you're walking through a fog? It's very normal.
1: Yeah. And you don't have the energy. It's just not there. Mm-hmm. So if people try, if they assume that they should be able to do things, you know, that should word. You know, I, I I used to be able to walk every morning. I just don't have the energy anymore. Mm-hmm. There must be something wrong with me, mm-hmm. and yet recognizing and giving yourself permission to say, you know what, grief is very physical, mm-hmm. and my body is telling me that it's grieving. So I respect it. Totally. And this is one of the
0: ways it. we resist our grief, yeah. right? Is we think I need to get back into my routine. I need to. I need to try to live my life. Right the way it was before I was pushed across this threshold but you're different different. Mm -hmm. and your body's different and your brain is different and could we not resist that
2: because I'm glad you brought up brain because often we don't think about our brain as part of our bodies I mean I don't know but fog you feel foggy you can't concentrate you have no focus you can't remember things the way you used to be able to and your mind might feel like it's just on that single track Mm-hmm. Um, and nothing is breaking in, and I think that's that I think that 's a physical reaction too, but right. some, I think sometimes we don 't think of our mind as physical, but right. um, our brain is physical so the
1: other the other major one that i I want to make sure we get a moment to chat about is what i 'll call the spiritual piece, which I want us to recognize is not a religious um, angle only. I mean for some people that may be that when I talk about that. But I'm talking about if we if we think of our spirituality more in terms of mm, our assumptive world, how we how we see ourselves in this world and how we find our way. So when certain deaths happen, particularly a death of a child, but I think all death brings us to that threshold of okay, now what? Mm-hmm. Of of changing Everything we thought we were going to be, um, how, how life was supposed to work, is suddenly not possible. And we have to go through a huge spiritual transformation of finding our way and putting an assumptive worldview back into place that accounts for what has happened to us. And that is a challenge.
0: Yeah, that idea of like, this wasn't fair. Right. Or why did that happen to my mother when she right. lived such a healthy life? Or those are
1: spiritual questions.
0: They are, they're existential spiritual questions. Yeah. And it's really normal that we start to grapple with that. And I often, I often call that the existential reckoning. There's a reckoning that starts to happen where we start asking ourselves these bigger questions. And of course, there's not easy answers to those. Mm-hmm. And so part of that, again, is not resisting that and like that, that is part of the process yeah. is that we kind of are in this rumble with yeah. that like and when I a life oh sorry dave
2: when a life partner dies i've gone from being a couple to now being single that's a huge transition when a child dies i might have gone from my identity as a parent when a parent dies maybe now i'm an orphan all of those identities are existential in terms of who am i in this world that i thought was solid, safe, secure and was going to be the same way moving forward forever and ever, right? right?
1: And that and that's why i think those pat answers are so are so horrible. To, to yeah. When people try to give you those pat answers when you're having a What are you thinking of? <laughs> well, i'm thinking of telling people, you know, it was all for the best or right. or there must have been a They're in a better place. They're, they're in a better <laughs> yeah. place. Right. Yeah. Those kinds of statements are you know, do not help us. In mm-hmm. any way, in our grief. just
0: be grateful that you had them for as long yeah, as you yeah those did. kinds of statements. In no yeah. way, it's very yeah. um, it diminishes our grief, and what that says is there's not room for your grief
1: here. There's not room for exploring this yeah. new this new part of me. Yeah, mm-hmm. right, and and that's a horrible thing to shut people down in grief. But I come back to what you said right early. Red is often people shut down grief because of their own fear of it it's not they're not really caring about the other person they're caring about how how it's affecting them in their world and they don't want that
0: i think that's so much part of our culture of our fear of pain of suffering and that if there's something wrong in meaning like you're sad you're upset this is a horrible thing that's happened um i can't fix that and that makes me really uncomfortable that i can't fix it well, there's nothing to fix with grief. It's natural. It is a natural response. And so our job is not to fix it. It's not to make them happy. It's not to say, be grateful. Um, you know, every day will get a little better. It's not, it's to witness it and to say, I'm I'm here with you. And if in this moment we're laughing and if in the next moment we're crying or we're angry, then I'm with you in that. And I can make space for what for whatever your experience
2: is yeah it's not an illness
0: it's not an illness it's it's
2: a natural human condition right yeah um and and we aren't but it's an uncomfortable natural human condition and and dave before we hit record you were talking about you know you have to go through that first year Mm -hmm. and then oftentimes once the first year is over you're standing at that threshold kind of going oh my god i got to go through it all over again like i i thought it was hard to get through it once and it's that it's that transition to this is a new life, and it will go. You'll go through it every year. That assumptive world, <laughs> just because a year has gone by, hasn't changed. All the things are still not there in the next year, and the next year, and the next right. year.
0: On that note, can we just talk about that first year, just to kind of right. give? And of course, everyone's different, but can we just kind of give uh, some generalities here around sometimes what that first year is like?
1: I, I often find and I, I I never look at any kind of pattern as being definitive for everybody, mm-hmm. but I have also recognized that there are a couple of moments where in that first year that are significant. And one of them you know, there I think three months out is important. Six months out is a very kind of there often is a time then and what changes in people at that point is that sense of, mm, you know, kind of, all right, I'm finding my way, I'm finding my way, I think I'm better, I think I'm good. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, wham. And they're down in, and they, they say, what's wrong with me? I thought I was doing well. Yeah, and the but, grief yeah, intensifies. The intensifies. And for me, I think, and what I explained to them is, you you have experienced the grief of what it means to for a person to die. But you are now experiencing what it means that they're not living with you it's the permanent it's the permanency yes. that starts to settle in around oh my gosh this is the way it's always going to be you know they're not just away. i'm not just doing this and i don't and the support diminishes like you said earlier the support diminishes around people after a few months so they don't they, they don't have that but so it's a real dip and it can be a challenge just encouraging them to say, "This is what you're experiencing now is that threshold of oh my gosh, this isn't going to be different." <laughs> you're confronting your new reality. You're confronting your, but you can't do that in the first week no, or you two. Can't, no, you have no idea because you haven't lived that peace long enough to realize what it means that they're not here with you. All of the the routines, the way in which things life unfolds, plus it might you know six months we you may be facing holidays different things that you've never faced before without that person so that's my experience anyway
0: thank you for that i I really like how you kind of clarify that it's a new threshold around that six month mark i um i also think there's that natural numbing that happens i think most of us realize in the early days post-death that there's some shock that there's some numbing And what I often tell clients is that numbing actually lasts way longer than you think. Way, way longer. We're not talking days or weeks, but months, right? Uh, With a really significant, like a tragic death, a sudden death, death of a child, that that numbing actually is much longer. And so that's also that part of when uh, sometimes grief can intensify because some of that numbing has gone away. And that numbing is protective. That numbing has allowed you to still get up in the morning and function or and go to work or and pay your bills and whatever it is that you've needed to do. So that's not that's not a pathological thing. That's a very protective mechanism that your nervous system and brain is engaged in for you.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I, one of the significant things that I've, I hear about is that that moment on that day when you get to the end of the day and you haven't thought about your loved one And then you feel guilty. And it's like, no, that's actually an interesting day because that means that you've engaged in your life in a way uh, that was fulsome and that it draw your, drew your attention to whatever it was you were doing. But it doesn't mean you've forgotten your loved one. But when that realization comes, I haven't thought about them this hour or this half a day or this whole day. Um, That sense of guilt that comes from that, that I'm here and I'm living my life. And that's, Oh, it's got to be okay, and it is okay, because um, it's that confronting the new reality of it is me um, in a new way, and I think
1: that's the that's a great point, Red, that we that grief <clears throat> grief is not an ending, um, it 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 tells us about an ending, but but grief is also that threshold yeah. of all right, we still have life to live. And life that we're going to be living isn't going to be done the way it was. But that doesn't mean it can't be done. And that person that has died will still be part of our life, Mm -hmm. just not the way they were. And so finding a way to keep them present in a good way, finding a way to honor our grief. And so when you come to that day, and you're absolutely right, people get all freaked out with that. Mm -hmm. When you come to that day and that moment, I say to them, whatever you do, honor that grief when it happens when that moment when you remembered it's okay that's your time just to honor it yep and and but not to not to put grief, uh, guilt upon yourself for that piece that's part of our journey yeah how um
0: how do you think we can honor that continuing bond with the person once they've died how, how have you can we just take a few moments just to kind of give some ideas around that
1: I encourage them to keep talking about the person in a normal, natural way. So, <clears throat> um, you know, just, oh, you know, so-and-so would like that. Or especially if there are grandchildren around to really keep that those stories going. Your grandpa or your grandma would really love those things. I, I It's funny you say that because one, I just was talking to a, a woman. They've been married for uh, 69 years and he died. Uh, a little while ago, and she was saying, oh, it's my granddaughter's 21st birthday. And I've, and I said, well, when you give her the card, why don't you sign both of your names to it? Grandpa and grandma, you know? And and she said, oh, I could do that. (laughs) And I said, well, he would want to sign that card, wouldn't he? Well, yes. So I Mm -hmm. so those are simple ways that are not, and, and they're not there's nothing odd about them. Like people have this, you know, this weird thing around. Oh, that would be weird. No, it's not weird. It's right. It's that in honorable. some
0: way is that me not accepting the death right. or it's like not writing. Ex- his it's thing. just of course saying
1: they still. They're still part of your they're life. They're still here. They're still here in a different way. In a different way.
0: Can I share, um, David? You. I don't know if you remember this, but something you told me as a as a way to when when my father died. Um, A piece of advice you gave me in terms of that continuing bond was you said, you know, when somebody compliments you or identifies a strength in you and you know that that came from your father, that that's something that he taught you. Say that. Well, my dad taught me that. And I've I've passed that on to so many clients. And that was that's a great way to just here he is right here. Right. So if somebody says, wow, you're you've got this great work ethic. Yeah, my dad. My dad really modeled that for me in my life. So there's lots of simple ways that that was my, you know, that was my aunt's favorite meal, hmm. right? She loved this. Yeah, uh,
2: I always say you're the keeper now. You're the keeper of their stories, mm. uh, their memory, um, and, and that's different than building a shrine in your house, so to speak. But that, yeah, it's you're carrying them in your heart. You're carrying them in your memory. Um, And you are now the keeper of that story. So you can bring that person forward with you into your new life in a different way, not a physical way, but certainly through stories, through honoring, you know, what it is that they've taught you or or, or given you. Um, And so I would just say you're the keeper now, which is an incredibly... important job I like that to keep the the stories in the memory I like of a person that. I love that
1: too I like that because it also and I encourage that people particularly around certain types of death suicide uh, accident where where there can be judgment pieces and I really encourage people you're the you're the keeper of their story not everybody needs to know it you get to choose when is when is that appropriate, and when do you want to share that story? Mm-hmm. But there may be some people who you don't want to share that story right. with, right. And, and to give them permission that they are the keeper <clears throat> of that story and, and
2: to, to, to make sure it's told in a good, positive
1: way. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Now, before we—I um, we, might run us a little bit over here, but I, I do think it might be important for us to talk about what happens when someone turns to substances— um, as a way of numbing, as a way of coping, and, and, and what we can do. Because I think that's a common thing, and we don't talk about it, right? Yeah. We <laughs> see someone who's experienced a significant loss, and maybe they're drinking too much, or maybe they're smoking too much, and, and we don't know what to do. Um, and I think that's a common mm-hmm. thing. and, and Shopping shopping gambling. Oh yeah. my gosh, shopping. Is shopping gambling. is a huge yeah. one, yeah. Yeah. right? Yeah. Some of
0: retail therapy, and yeah. of course, we normalize that as society, right? Yeah. Sometimes, so we don't, or or even the way we can scroll through social media, we yeah. we can numb through that.
2: Yeah, and maybe is that another podcast. I don't know, but it might be a bit late to to bring it up now. But I think that's an important piece yeah. because we can see that distracting uh, us from our grief. It's that thing. that's numbing. It's moving us away from. I think our it's grief. really it's important,
1: starting, and I, and I I think it's really important not to begin. With judgment, oh absolutely, I think it's it's, it's something absolutely. that we help them to. Rec- yep. Unfortunately, yep. it gets judged so quickly. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. and, and uh, it's it's a natural thing <clears throat> to
2: do. Why wouldn't I numb myself? I'm right. in pain. Right. Right. Yeah, um, I'm
0: this the anguish that right. I am feeling, and this these glasses of wine every night give right. me some relief from. They that. help me
2: sleep. They yeah. help me relax, and it's just so
1: tempting. So I come back to what you said, Julie, earlier about. It's a matter of sitting with people in there. I mean, if if substances and those pieces are are ways in which getting something, somebody or something to be with me. Yes. Yes. So, uh, you know, and, and I think our job at first when fresh grief happens and early grief, everybody's trying to pull that. if you picture it in this person in a pit and the pit of grief, everybody's trying to pull them out. What they really need is somebody just to go down and sit with them. Mm-hmm. They'll get out eventually. We'll get we'll get out, but but that first and and if nobody is there to do that, then often we look for those substances to numb. And and again, I acknowledge that without judgment with people and just try to say, okay, let's can we, you know, what is that? F- what 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 do you? I don't ask them what they need because they don't know what they need. Mm-hmm. But but just a matter of you know what what would it be like for you mm-hmm. if we could if you could phone somebody and have somebody any time of the day mm-hmm. rather than doing that right you know, would that be something anyway it might be another podcast right I think yeah, I it think might could be, be. <laughs> I think because well, I can feel how all of us have more to say on that subject right <laughs>
0: so um, I think we're going to start to wrap up here today and I just um, just final thoughts. Let's just all of us just, you know, there. I know we all have so much more we could say, but just final thoughts for now.
1: I think for me, it's it's about where I began. It's part of our life experience. And rather than trying to quickly get over it, let's honor it. This this grief is important and it's worth me um, taking time to be with and, and to find it. The flip side, if I know somebody who has experienced a loss, my role is to n- not to be the answer for them. My role is to, to be with them and just simply to acknowledge, not try to get over it.
2: Yeah. I think that concept of witnessing, climbing in the hole with the person is a good one. I always think it, 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 it happens because you risk to love. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is sort of the cost of love, and that might sound kind of cliche, but we we wouldn't grieve if we didn't love, um, if it
0: didn't matter. If, if it didn't, didn't matter, matter,
2: if that person wasn't significant to us, then then we wouldn't have a reaction. Um, we might have a slight slight reaction, but we lots of people die every day. We don't know them. We don't have that same reaction, and so, um, it's love, um, and grief and love are are, are inseparable, um, and if you take the risk. Um, then you're inviting grief, and so we should actually really learn how to how to do this better <laughs> as a, as a as a society to be with people to witness their grief um and to journey with them through sort of that those those darker what we would say darker times or sadder times,
0: yeah, and I think I would just also i would echo of course what both of you were saying, just that idea that grief needs space, we need to allow it to take up space. And for those of us who are experiencing it, supporting someone, there's no fixing it. But the good news is that, you know, you don't have, like, that's the good news. There's no, it, it, there's, there's nothing to be done to get down in the hole and say, I'm, I'm right here with you. I'm right here. So thanks. That's the end of our return <laughs> um, to our new podcast, What Now? On the Threshold of Life, Death, and Grief. Thanks, David. Thanks, Brent. Hey, thanks.